So Isaiah 41. And... You're not crying with you? Yeah. That's a nice good message, isn't it? Yeah, and it ties in, yeah, with, with the song and with the uh, Torah portion. I know. Nene is quiet. She's like, like this. You're not even talking, though. Oh, why isn't that? Okay. First, I have it on here. I don't know why it's not showing up. That's funny. Isaiah 41 says, keep silent. Did you say that? Keep silent. 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 Keep Okay, I don't know why Isaiah 41 is not showing. Okay, well apparently I don't have it up on here. I have it on here, but it's not it's not moving over. No. So Yeah, I don't know why. But I'm just going I I'm pulling out pulling out a Let's see, Isaiah 41. Okay, let's go to it. Anybody need a Bible? No. Nope. Oh, y'all doing it on the on your phone, huh? Yeah, I'm going to do it on here, but I, you know what? I'm just going to... Isaiah 41. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. I, I, I don't know. I it did it with... I thought... Oh, never mind. I can see it on here. I don't know why it's but not it's showing not showing yet. up there, though. Yep. For some reason, I was thinking Isaiah 44. Uh-uh. No, that's different. No. Not... So... Be silent before me, O islands. Let peoples renew their strength. Let them draw near, then let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who has stirred up one from the east? He calls justice to his feet. He gives nations over to him and subdues kings. He makes him like dust with his sword, as driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them, passing on safely, by a path his feet had not traveled. Who has performed and done it? Verse 4. Calling forth the generations from the beginning. I, Adonai, am the first and the last. I am he. The coastlands have seen and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They draw near and come. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman encourages the smith who smooths with the hammer, who strikes with the anvil, saying of the soldering, it's good, as he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I took hold of you from the ends of the earth and called from its uttermost parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you, not rejected you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who were angry at you will be ashamed and disgraced. 
Those who quarrel with you will be as nothing and perish. Though you will look for those who contended with you, you will not find them. Those who warred against you will be as nothing at all. For I am Adonai, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, fear not, I will help you. Um, the right hand. I have been reading the last few days, well, last couple of weeks, as I've been reading different things about Hanukkah and, and the month of Teves. And the right hand is the right hand of mercy. So when God upholds our right hand, it means because he is there sustaining us, we are empowered to extend mercy where fear or, or anger or resentment might cause us otherwise to extend judgment. The left hand is judgment. So but when he does the left hand. When he extends judgment as his right, we are not ever supposed to extend judgment. But when we feel, um, one of the things that I, I've been reading and I'm trying to figure out exactly how to, how to kind of write something about it is, it's very interesting to me that the, the couple of times that Paul uses the phrase, the curse of the Torah, and how Yeshua did away with the curse of the Torah. And I had always, I had thought, you know, well, that means, um, you know, originally I had been told, oh, the need for the sacrificial system. Okay, I don't believe that because I don't think that was the curse of the Torah, but the need for... You know, or, or the separation, I thought. It's the separation from God. Which, yes, but I think that the point Paul is making, because the only two times he uses that phrase are when he's talking about division in the body between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And I believe what he, the point he's trying to make is that the curse of the Torah is that when humans come to understand there's a standard of righteousness, our response is very often to strive to meet it ourselves in our own effort in a way that creates strife between other people in us. That, that legalism, is, that the tendency we have towards legalism is the curse of the Torah. When we're trying so hard to do what is righteous, we tend to look with judgment on those who don't try as hard. We tend to look with judgment on those who aren't focusing on the same thing we are. We tend to look with judgment on those who act like they can get away with something, you know. And, and it's one thing to talk about, which absolutely we talk about, what is righteousness and what does it mean to be living it? But it, when and if that extends to I'm better than you, who do you think you are? You have to do it my way. I'm going to impose righteousness on you. Then we have crossed, swerved out of our lane and gotten into God's. Because he is the standard, not us. And we have to remember with humility that we're still trying to understand and walk it out ourselves. And when we can remember that, and we can remember that everyone is at a different place, 
Um, and not in the, well, they haven't caught up to me yet, but maybe their walk is going to look completely different because their struggles and their issues are in a completely different area of Torah than we will ever have to wander. Mm-hmm. You know, they may be wrestling with things that won't even be relevant to our lives. That's like somebody being, you know, Muslim and coming into God's truth. And then they have a conversation with somebody who was Buddhist and came into God's truth. They're in two different parts of the world, two different cultures, two different religions imposed upon them. And they both came into God's truth. But if they were like next door to each other with those same differences, they would probably clash because they're they're so just not having the same. And keeping in mind that the journey, you know, like we were saying, God's intentional. And the journey is long. And what we see on any given day, in any given moment, is a snippet of someone's life. And and very often when people are recovering from things, the pendulum has to swing really far the other way before it can come back into balance. And so if somebody is coming out of an oppressive legalistic paradigm where there, there were all these rules and they couldn't measure up and they just felt oppressed all the time, they may very well swing all the way to, oh, I can do anything and God will still love me (laughs) before God moves them eventually to the place of, and yet not all things are good. (laughs) And so when we come along and they're in the, oh my God, I can do anything and God will still love me. And we start telling them, but, 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 we are speaking with our left hand of judgment. And God's like, yo, put that hand down. Well, the people who be feeling like everything well, is under the blood will tell them, just go ahead, it's under the blood. Right, right. And it's not, and it's not okay Going that other people, I mean, it's not okay to encourage the imbalance. Right. But we can't correct their course more than God can. You know, we might plant to see. We now we if they anything. if they ask you and you read the literal scripture out of the Bible, yeah, ask for them to take on. But you don't have to engage to go, and argue and go beyond yeah. that. You're right. going to go to hell because right. okay. But yeah. and and what we are told at any, I mean, our our instruction from God, it, and and keeping in mind our spiritual gifts might be all kinds of things, but that's why Paul says in Corinthians. You act on those gifts when God tells you to. We're not under their control. Right. Like we have we have a power of a sound mind that we can use. Like the people who are like, I'm a prophet, so I'm right. Therefore, I'm a prophet all over you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> tell you what for, and it's like, whoa, that's not even from God because I'm got that too. <laughs> right. You just like talking. Like yeah. you, you could have right. that gift, but you just right. messed up your. You mess up the use of your gift or the person right. you give. You or maybe you don't you... have that gift and you just are a judgmental person and you think that's what the gift is. I don't know, but shh, shh, you know. Or you feel like you know the future or <laughs> can tell somebody the future or tell somebody what to do when they give you that power because you say you're a prophet. Right, right. But so, it's more so like how God does it with Tanya. You know, you're like, mm, okay. It's not yeah. like you walk up to people every single day and be like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, let me know? tell you what to do. It's, but he, but he the tells thing, you, you do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, he tells you to do it, but also what we're instructed to do and the context in which we are called to use our gifts is in relationship, sharing our testimony. 
So if sometimes when I encounter somebody who's way swung over this way, I might say to them, I am so glad that you are free from that oppression and bondage. That is a very difficult place to live. I trust that God's going to lead you into revealing to you what his righteousness really looks like. That's like saying shalom. Yes. Yes. Speaking peace and life and love, the right hand of mercy. And and it's the the concept for this month of Tevez that, that I was looking at and, and learning about with Hanukkah this year has to do with, um, and I kind of mentioned this at our, at our party, but it's, it's the goal of, and the challenge of trying to look at everyone with Ein Tov, the good eye, the eye of mercy, yeah. the eye that looks at them where they are, the eye that looks at them and sees the good, the eye that, and, and our circumstances, not just other people, but our circumstances, the eye that looks at what we're going through and says, I am not forgotten. God is intentional. He is working this together. Not, not in like a word of faith, I'm going to pretend like everything's happy because God doesn't like it when I frown, but in a, you know, or, or even in a, and I can make it so if I believe it hard enough, but in a genuine trusting of God that where you are is just where you are and whatever you're going through, he wants to teach you something. And, and it's happening for a reason. And maybe what he's trying to slough off of you is a little more embedded and painful than something that you went through last year or that you'll go through next year. Or maybe you're in this really great place, but that's not because you're all that in a bag of chips. It's because you are coming out of something and having the chance to put it into practice and see it. And, you know, people act like when something bad happens, oh, it's a setback. No, if it's not the same thing happening over and over, you're moving forward. It's a new thing. You just got lots of things. <laughs> right. And God forbid we stay where we are. I mean, truly, come on. Do you want to learn nothing your whole life? Do you want to just stay? Like, do you really want to be in some toddler place of bliss, running around doing damage you don't know you're doing, suffering damage that you don't realize you're suffering? Um, and not having that maturity that moves you forward into doing and knowing and understanding more, I, to me that just sounds horrible. I mean, but I guess if that's where somebody wants to be, it's also not my place to burst their bubble because they might not be ready for it. But but what God's saying here to Israel is, fear not, I will help you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will uphold your right hand in mercy. So as he sustains us and as we understand what he's doing for us, as we look around and don't see our enemies, as we look around and, and don't, um, you know, the, and th this passage, the one of the things I keep thinking as we're reading through this is this is such a strong message against replacement theology. Because if God said he would do this for Israel and he decided, nah, I'm going to do it for the church instead. Or, you know, America instead. Or these people instead, whoever these people think they are. Then he's not really one we can rely on. Because if, you know, if he changes at a whim and 
decides Israel's not really who he's going to sustain, then we have no confidence. But if we are grafted into Israel, then these promises are for us in a spiritual sense. They are for us in the sense that we can trust that God is going to take care of us, that God is going to provide for us, that God is going to uphold our right hand of, of mercy. So he says to you, fear not, I will help you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you. It is a declaration of Adonai, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Look, I will make you a threshing sledge, new with sharp double-edged spikes. You will thresh the mountains and grind them up and will make the hills like chafe. Remembering that, that in, in writings like this, mountains being those obstacles that come against you, the, the people or the, or the ideas that are oppressive. Um, so even the little, so you'll grind up the mountains, you'll make the hills like chafe and they'll blow away. You will winnow them and a wind will carry them away. A storm wind will scatter them. But you will rejoice in Adonai. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. The poor and needy ask for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. I, Adonai, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare hills and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land into fountains of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the olive tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine together with the box tree, so they may see and know, consider and understand together that the hand of Adonai has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Present your case, says Adonai. Bring forth your reason, says the king of Jacob. This is verse 22 now. Let them bring forth and tell us what will happen. The former things, what were they? Tell us that we may consider them and know their outcome. Anytime God says, tell us this many times, you know he's challenging you. You should probably shut up. You should probably not even try to tell him. Because there's, there's a very, oh, why don't you teach me? You know, you person. Feel free to teach the God of the universe. What were the former things? Meaning, what came before you? Do tell. Why did I do what I did? Please inform me. Declare the things coming afterward. So we may know that you are gods. Indeed, do good or do evil. So we may all see and be awestruck. And when God's challenging you to impress him, you know you've probably crossed a line that you need to like slowly back over. <laughs> Behold, you are nothing, and your work is null. Whoever chooses you is loathsome. I have stirred up one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, he will call upon my name. He will trample rulers as on mortar, like a potter treading clay. Who told this from the beginning so that we may know? Or from former times so we may say he is right? In fact, no one foretold it. In fact, no one announced it. In fact, no one heard your words. For it was to Zion. Behold, here they are. 
and to Jerusalem, I will give a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. There is no counselor among them. When I ask them, they have no response. Indeed, they are all a delusion. Their works are null. Their molten images are wind and waste. Because they can't answer God's questions. Yeah. And they have no right to be telling other people. One of the things that I, I find really interesting is, is the number of times people will come in and declare that they are speaking for God. And I find it's usually with the quote of, it's the plain meaning of the scripture. And, and I, I just hear God sounding exactly like these verses, even when I haven't read them and they're not fresh in my mind going, oh, is that what I said? Is that what I meant by that? Oh, do tell. Do tell what I was trying to communicate to my people. Make sure you put all the hate in it that's there. And, and I found that there was a time when I would try and engage with them and challenge them. And, and now I find I just respond to them for the sake of anybody else who might be listening because they're not. And, and it is almost always, I mean, it is always some variation on something that Hasetan said. Did I really say? Yeah. Did God really say women can teach his word? Um, yeah, he did, actually. You know, he told them, go and tell. That's called teaching. He said, and my daughters. Either male or female. Right. He said, my sons and daughters will prophesy. Yes. And in Hebrew, that means proclaim his word. Yes. Sons and daughters. Did God really say. Yes, you're crying. Just don't be alarmed. Okay. She's fine. Okay. Is she about to. <laughs> you just see it coming, huh? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, did God really say. That he loves these people too? Yes, yes he did. I was reading, a friend of mine posted a meme the other day, and I had, and, and it was, the grammar was slightly corrected for modern English. And it had been a while since I'd read the passage, so I was like, I'm going to go read that again, because that's a bold statement, and I want to go read. And sure enough, and it says, if God can bring people back from the dead, Jesus can save whoever he chooses. Right there. Whoever he chooses. Not who you choose. Not who you think is worthy. Not who you're pretty sure is showing some evidence that you've determined is what will show that they're saved. It's completely Jesus, and he decides. And end of the discussion. He didn't consult with you. He didn't ask your opinion. Unless it was with this, oh, really, do tell. Why am I not saving them? What do you know about the former and the later things? Oh, nothing? Oh, maybe shut up then. Maybe don't try and, and give me counsel. And so when someone comes in and says, oh, the plain meaning of the text, I'm like, well, then you clearly have no understanding of the text. Because you mean the plain meaning of some translation that you read. Because once you get into languages like Hebrew and Greek, there's very little plain meaning about it. It's 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 deep, and yes, there is these there there is these simple uh, shot level, what it basically says. 
But that's the level children are supposed to read it at. As you get older, you should have questions that move you beyond the simple reading of the text. If you haven't moved beyond the simple reading of the text, you are not able to teach. You don't understand it. You can tell me what the words are, but you can't tell me what they mean. <clears throat> and so, I, you know, I, I am becoming more and more convinced that there are a lot of doctrines within the church that are idols. And you're not allowed to question them. And where you stand on them determines whether you're believed to be a true Christian or not. Or, or worthy of, of being treated a certain way or not. And that's idolatry. That's not from God. You know, that's wrong. Yeah. Like that, like that struck a chord in me. I was sitting in the class, and the teacher said, okay, everybody give me the signal, because she's trying to get their attention. They have to do this. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the boy said, why? And then the other teacher goes, you don't ask why. You don't question the teacher. And then I went into this whole spiel about not asking why. Uh -huh. And it kind of struck a chord in me. I felt so uncomfortable in the moment. Because I'm like, right. What do you mean you don't ask That's why? how you There's learn. There's a respectful way and right. a disrespectful way to ask why. Yes. But in my heart and my mind, I'm like, my children better always ask why. Right. Ask yeah. why all the time. And that's and how God feels. what authority figure it is. I don't care if it's the president and he tells you to move to the left. That's Excuse you me, Mr. President, why am I moving to the left? Yeah. Yes, ask, yes, question I the world around you. But she was trying to say, you know, that it right. was How dare you question me? How dare you? Right. And it wasn't, and my thing is like, okay, I get I that in the moment. He should have just did the signal because we needed to move on to the computer lesson. But at the same time, he's only five. We're in kindergarten. So right. why couldn't you just say, honey, I need you to do the signal to be quiet because we're doing the computer lesson yeah. next. And next time. The answer to why is know, because we want to move forward. Yeah, but it's like for me, I felt like it should have been a teachable moment. Next time, if you want right. to know why I'm giving the signal, how about you do it in this way? Like teach him like. And our pride gets in the way. Not say, don't our pride. And that's what God's saying to them. Oh, really? Really? You know like all these things. Churches are. Don't ask yes. why. Don't ask why. Um, yeah, I'm going to ask why. And God's bigger than You might not be bigger than my questions, but God is. Your doctrines might not hold up to my questions, but his truth does. Yeah. And if your doctrine is true, it'll hold up to the questions. Right. If it can't, we should be questioning it. We shouldn't just buy into things because somebody said so. Right. Because God's going, and you are. <laughs> and where were you no. when I built the Right. <laughs> well, on what authority are you teaching you? this? <laughs> just because you declare you're on his authority doesn't mean you are. There's false prophets too. There's false teachers too. And we have the responsibility to question. And, and if you stand before God on your day of judgment and you go, well, I did it because so-and-so said. Is that, is that the answer you want to give? So-and-so told me I had to. And, and it doesn't that end up coming off a lot more like when Adam said, you know, that woman you gave me. Well, that teacher you gave me said I was supposed to do it. Oh, well, clearly then you were supposed to do it. Yeah. 
God forbid you have a relationship with God personally and actually learn from him and study his word that's, you know, been given to you. That's funny. That's interesting because I just had this, like, vision of him being like, um, you know, I do not know you. Mm-hmm. Um, get away from me for I do not know you. And, and it's kind of like a dialogue. Like, the person's like, how do you not know me? I casted out demons right. in my name. And I right. saved this many people. And, All and the things and I so did. And, and, and then he's yeah. like, God's like, but I don't know you. And then I could see the person being like, well, you gave me. It's this woman you gave me. It's this this teacher you gave me it's this doctrine you gave me and god's like uh no i don't know you i, I, I don't know you. them either, yeah, I, don't know them either. <laughs> I didn't give i didn't give you those things right and god the dude's sitting there like oh you know right well then who who gave it to me <laughs> <laughs> and i think and i don't think that that's a picture of them being lost but that how they react in that moment might determine a lot because when she, when you were talking, I was thinking like your mind went there, right? I must be hungry because my mind went to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's like right. if somebody present that to you, just gonna wholeheartedly accept it. That's like you putting a bowl of food in front of me and say, "Okay, taste it first, you know, and right. I'm just gulping it down. <laughs> right? So I don't know whether I like it or not. I'm just putting it all in my mouth. Then I find out when I got it all in my you mouth. You don't like it, or like, something in there is poison, or you're see. allergic to it. Yeah. So you telling me investigate? Yeah. You know, That's true. You like it before you. Yeah. That's like yeah. Sky. Make sure it is she good. She always has to like lick something before yes, she puts sky. it in her mouth. She's yeah. sending her tongue out like this. Like, yeah, let's see if and it's if, they, if it's not satisfying on that little tongue she stick out, she's not like, eating it. No, but that's, no. that is profound because he didn't say yeah. eat and see. Or yeah, he didn't say and see. He said gobble it all up and tell and me see. how great it is. Yeah, <laughs> he said taste it, taste it. Just, you know, let me give a little taste. Like yeah, how you make potatoes and you be like, Lisa, does it need more pepper right, or, yeah. or salt? Yeah. Because, yeah. because when it is good, then you want it. Yeah. But unfortunately, so much of the church... You know, and, and just the world is starving for truth. And what happens when you put something down in front of a starving person is they just start oh, yeah. gobbling it up. They don't even worry about tasting that. Right. To the I point that they, they end up vomiting. Right. And and how sad because as the body, as the church, we need to understand that you don't put, you know, a turkey in front of a starving person. You do. You start them with broth. And you get them healthy. And you make sure that you're giving them morsels that are going to heal whatever is hurting in them. And not, because a lot of times what happens, like when you're coming back from being sick, you have to eat the foods that are going to heal that part of you and nourish that part of you. Like we were talking, Lisa, with the body has the ability to heal, but you have to provide it with what it needs to do that. And so if you take somebody who's recovering from something, and this is kind of going full circle back to that person who's swinging all the way because they're healing, you know, from this. So they swing over here. Well, if you come along as the body and you indulge this, you know, somebody who's maybe not been able to eat sugar for a long time and then they go, oh, my God, this is so good. And there's going to be that season where they eat a lot of sugar. But the body of believers shouldn't be going, and here's some cake and here's some donuts and here, have, have a sugar cube. Just take this straight and let's hook up a sugar ivy. They should be going, yes, and here, maybe have some of this and, you know, Meeting them where they are without indulging it, but also without condemning it. 
And that's mercy. Mercy says, the right hand of mercy, the good eye of mercy says, I see you where you are. I love you where you are. I accept you where you are. I uphold you where you are. Let me share where I am. Mm-hmm. And together, let's follow God. And it's that whole big picture. That is the context of relationship that God calls us to. That is the context that allows us to speak the truth in love. That is the love. Because if you don't have the love, you're not welcome to speak the truth. And if you think you're speaking truth without love, you're not. (laughs) It's, It's not truth if there's no love. And it doesn't matter how many times you go, well, I'm saying this because I love you. Sometimes love shuts up. Sometimes love says nothing. Sometimes love just sits there with you. Sometimes love comes softly. Yes. Yes. In the still small voice. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this off, and then we'll dig into the Torah portion. Not that we don't need to record that, but I just want to be able to not think about this. (laughs) So on that, 